Welcome to the Root Horror Podcast, episode 68. Uh, on this episode, I talk to composer Dennis Michael Tenney. We talk about his newest film, The Beast Comes at Midnight. And we also talk about some of the other horror films that he's worked on in the past. And uh, this is a fun episode to do, so I hope you guys enjoy. Uh, right before we get into the episode, I do want to mention that Midwest Monster Fest was an absolute blast and I hope to do a bonus episode talking about that. But uh, there is another horror convention coming up in Iowa. It's Halloween Palooza. It'll be happening at the historic and haunted Hotel Atumwa in Atumwa, Iowa. There's gonna be uh, a few Scream Queens including Debbie Raccone, who's a, a big trauma staple. She's been in films like Terra Firmer, Poultry Geist, Toxic Avenger 4, and so forth. Uh, and then we also have uh, Kelly Marooney, who's been in Chopping Mall, Night of the Comet, The Zero Boys, Not of This Earth, and many more. And also joining Halloween Palooza is Lynn Lowry. You might know her from The Crazies and Cronenberg Shivers. Then we also have Scream Queen Brink Stevens, who's been in films like Nightmare Sisters, The Slumber Party Massacre, Psycho 3, Savage Streets, Phantom of the Mall, and, and many, many more. So it should be a fun time. I, I can't wait to to be there, and, uh, and it, it's always a blast. I, I just love the aesthetics of Halloween Palooza. It's just it's a great place to have a convention, and it's it's an absolute blast. So that'll be happening October eighth and 9th. So make your way to Atumwa, Iowa, October eighth and 9th. For more info, go to www. Halloweenapalooza.com for more info and tickets available at the website as well. But without further ado, let's just get right into the episode where I have a chat with Dennis Michael Tenney. just like we, since we were in pause or something i don't know hmm. interesting <clears throat> i don't i don't get the technology really <laughs> i'm like uh let's see i used to do like film editing and stuff like shoot like 13 14 years ago in the software film. yeah well like uh like like high eight videotape right 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 stuff and like you know even the editing software from that long ago is so much different from nowadays i'm sure it's yeah. just it is it is like almost learning everything over again yeah it's a do-over that's that's my guess yeah, i mean <laughs> i first started in uh, the business it was work print cutting out a moviola mm. you know it was on really cutting film you know you weren't it wasn't a digital cut it was cut the film tape it up tape it together wow yeah, back in the 80s. Yeah, geez, it's been that long, I guess so. That's got to be yeah. so much harder than nowadays because you'd have to be like really precise with everything. You had to be very precise. Uh, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't use a frame of negative twice. So if you had work print and you had doubled up work print, you, you could screw things up pretty badly by going to cut the negative and having... <clears throat> one frame too many in in 
what in your work print that you no longer is no longer available in, on your negative because you cut it in the first reel. This is reel three. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> so you're screwed. Not many do-overs. So you had to and it was a time consuming and laborious laborious. So uh For many, sure. many, many, many hours, yeah. For sure. I never did it personally. When I got into film, it was time code and uh, you know machines locking together and writing music that way. I didn't have to like cut film or anything. I think on my first film, Witchboard, they actually transferred it to Mag Film, and then the music editor cut it in on actual film stock, you know, magnetic film stock, hmm. sprockets, and the whole whole damn thing. Yeah, I was kind of wondering, like, uh, you know, since everything was was like actual film back then, like, how did they record, uh, you know, say like your music scores? Like, was there like a, a special machine? <clears throat> no, it was uh, by the time I did my second movie, Night of the Demons, uh, time code was on the scene and uh, I would just lock my sequencers to the picture time code. They were, they still had to cut film in order to make a print but they could cut on video, which is also time consuming because it was, it's linear, you know, mm -hmm. if you're, if you can't just go back and go, okay, well, let's take that out. No, you can't because you have to recreate everything after you take that shot out because it's not just going to, you're not going to be able to delete the space and have the whole film uh, collapse. So, but it was a uh, <clears throat> time code, 24 track um, tape machines, just like they're doing with the, you know, recordings like music, like albums and stuff. So, but when, but I had to chase the video because right in the picture, you got to make sure that everything locks up and looks good and goes boo at the right time. You know, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the the folks listening to this, I'm Marcus from the Root Horror Podcast, and I'm here with uh, music composer Dennis Tenney, and he has worked on a lot of horror movies. Uh, some include. Night of the Demons 1 and 3, Witchboard 1 and 2, Witch Trap, Leprechaun 3 and 4, The Prophecy starring uh, Christopher Walken. Dennis has even worked with uh, Jim Wynarski and Fred Owen Ray on oh, yeah. a couple of their films. Absolutely. Uh, they, had, they pretty much used uh, Chuck Serino as their gozer guy, but uh, I had a post audio production at that point where you know studio where we recording mixing you know do fully sound effects dialogue edit all those nine yards so i got to know jim and fred really really well because we get the job done quickly professionally and not nearly as expensive as some of the places they had been using we did a little ton of work for roger corman and uh andrew stevens on, on uh, a lot of his you know kind of B plus movies that not really B, but not completely A. But yeah, I got to work with everybody. You know, Dolph Lundgren and uh, Ice T and met them all. Wow, yeah, a lot of fun. And then yeah. it got to the point where you know I had a big studio, and you could pretty much do what we did on a laptop in your kitchen. So I sold that out and <laughs> moved on. Nice. Like uh, you know, Leprechaun three and four, uh, Brian Trenchard Smith films. Uh, I I've had him on the podcast. Uh, he mostly talked oh, yeah. about some of his uh, Ozploitation films. I I kind of yes. really wanted to get into you know like Night of the Demons three and uh, or not Night of the Demons three, two. but uh, two Night of the Demons two he directed. Yeah, yeah, a fun little romp. It was a, it was a good good show. Yeah, when I uh, first time I worked with him. I guess I worked with him on other demons too. I didn't do the music, but my company did the, did the post production. And uh, really nice guy. I mean, he knew what he wanted. He, he was he wasn't a, like an oligarch. He wasn't like just laying down the hammer, but he knew what he wanted. And then when I got the job to score Leprechaun, which he directed, he had to go to Australia for one of those other films that he had to direct or wanted to direct. So I was scoring it without any input from the director. So I ended up just about scoring that thing back, music back to back to back to back, just because I didn't want him to come back to the mix and go, why don't we have something here? I thought he would dump about half of it, but 
I think he used every cue I wrote. There was a, a lot of freaking music in that film, which is <laughs> yeah. good. I get paid for that on the back end. Right. And like, you know, the score that you made for like, you know, the Leprechaun films, like they just fit so well with that franchise. Yeah, I like that. That's actually Leprechaun 3 and my brother's film Pinocchio's Revenge. It was just called the Pinocchio Syndrome when we were making it, but it, the producers ended up titling it Pinocchio's Revenge. And Leprechaun 3 and Pinocchio's Revenge were like my two favorite scores I've ever done. We had a, we had a relatively long post-production period that we were so nobody felt rushed nobody felt like they were getting you know oh my god we gotta have this they're mixing tomorrow i'm only on read i was like ah, no. but we were <laughs> leisurely i guess is the world looking for so so i was really happy with the way those two films turned out and that night the demons which was uh really weird weird crap it was uh my brother said we're looking for a circus in hell i said okay so I use a lot of like calliope sound with dissonance and detuning and it turned out great. I wasn't sure if producers were going to say, what the hell is this crap? Everyone seemed <laughs> to like it. So that's good. The, the that's that's a good feeling. Good. When, when the people, the guys writing your check go, oh, I like it. That's good. <laughs> that's a good thing. Oh, heck yeah. yeah you know, I was, I'll was i say like the, the intro or like the theme song for Night of the Demons is it's catchy and i really liked how it uh interacted with the with the yeah with the uh, animation stuff kevin i can't think of his last name not my brother but there was the 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 guy who created the title sequence kutchever kevin kutchever and uh it was like the last thing i scored because it was a very pain you know stop motion you know really really no digital this or that you know it was like in camera effects and yeah and they took they took them a lot of time to do that so i was pretty much done scoring the film when i got that so i already had pretty good idea where, where the score was headed but yeah that was a lot of fun and it, and i i that's pirated that's pirated a thousand times on youtube i can go look up now the demons open title and it'll be on like a thousand different people's page with tens of thousands of hits. I ain't seeing none of that money. <laughs> did you ever uh, like do any work like on the sets of, of uh, Night of the Demons? I did one, one, one motion picture. The first one I ever worked on was uh, Witchboard. And I was living in LA and I think I was even actually living with my brother at that point. And uh, I needed a job and I knew the uh, set decorator, set designer. Uh, what was her name? It'll come to me. Anyway, I just begged her for a job. So I became a art PA, which is basically just a gopher, right? But uh, I was attached to the art department. So I got to work with uh, Bob, the prop guy, and Sarah, the uh, uh, set designer. And that was a lot, that was a lot of fun. And I was on set every day while they were shooting it. And it was a couple of funny stories. I was, they had a uh, costume designer who was just, who just thought I was like some schlub uh, PA, which I was. I mean, that's, and uh, she just would bag on the director behind his back. You know, I was like, oh, you know, first time director, you know, what are you doing? And then about halfway through the shoot, she realized that was my brother. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Tony Katain was a hoot. She was a lot of fun. Right. Um, yeah, got stories did. about her, but you know, don't speak ill of the dead. So, right yeah she just passed recently yeah i'm sorry to hear that yeah me too uh, right yeah yeah it's it's gotta be tough um yeah i know like uh you know speaking of like uh maybe like the the prophecy that's kind of a bigger film that was a bigger film but not when i worked on it now i I didn't do the score i did not i did the practical music like stuff you hear in the elevator or stuff you hear at the cafe at the cafe. Oh, so and they did, sound effects or something. I had never I had never seen the film. And they it was it was working title was God's Army. And I just and I got hooked up with it through somebody I peripherally knew. And this woman comes over and goes, uh, do you know what uh what's the name of the song? 
Sleepwalker. Sleepwalker. And you know the song Sleepwalker from the 50s? I said, yeah. She goes, we wanted to use that in this particular, but they wanted way too much money. I was under the impression this was a pretty low budget film. So I did a knockoff. They were happy. And then I was in Santa Monica one day. Then that was it. You know, they paid me like 50 bucks. And, wow. and uh, I was in Santa Monica one day with my girlfriend or a friend of mine. I don't remember which. And, oh, look. Uh, uh, what's it called? Prophecy. The Prophecy with uh, Christopher. I love Christopher. <laughs> I walk in. So we went and saw it. And I, and I didn't know it was that movie. I was sitting there and I heard my music playing in the theater watching the movie, I went, uh, and then it made it say that it was called God's Army. It was about angels and demons. And that was what the prophecy was about. And, well, who'd have thunk, you know? So, and they, they, they played it straight up. They uh, put my music in the cue sheets and I paid every quarter for uh, my parts of, in the prophecy. That's awesome. Yeah, man, so weird that, I never even knew what the film was. I just went to see it because I like Christopher Walken. <laughs> that sounds familiar. What is? It's almost like Sleepwalker, but not really. Uh, I think I did that. Yeah. So I hung around for the end titles and wow. read my name. It was like okay, nice. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> never it's, so, it's always nice when you just go to a movie and like, oh yeah, there's my music. Oh yeah, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Um, you know, I uh, was reading that you had worked on uh, The Arrival as an actor. Uh, the, 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 or, uh, the second Arrival. My brother directed it. And yeah, I think I got three acting credits. I was in The Second Arrival on the, like the news anchor, you know, just over the radio. You know, I was in Dream a Little Dream 2. I think, I think that was directed by... Jim Minorsky, I could be wrong. It might have been Fred Olin Ray. And again, I was I was a radio DJ at the beginning of the film. I got the first line in that film. And then there was something else. Oh, 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 then we did a film with Matthew Modine called If Dog Rabbit. And that was a good cast. That was a good film. It was Matthew Modine, John Hurt, David Keith, always good. Lisa Marie, Matthew Modine, yeah. And I, I think I did some kind of voiceover in there too. My mom did too, and he gave her a credit. He gave my mother a credit. Huh. Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine was a producer, writer, director, and uh, he made sure everybody who helped anywhere, any at any place, got their name in the credit. So he was a nice guy. Always, always say the man in Hollywood was from New York. He was a really, really sweet guy. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always. It's a pain when you like meet somebody and you go, oh man, you know, you ruined it for me. I, I'll never look at you in a movie again because you're such a dick. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, I didn't have that. I didn't have that too too often. Uh, worked a lot with Ice T, and he was he was the best looper I've ever seen. He could, and he he you know he was MF in this and MF in that. So they and they were uh, the producers Andrew Stevens uh, were contractually obligated to hand over TV safe versions of their films. So he had to come in like, he, he spent half a day there just cleaning up uh, all the above, but he was really good at it. He just like, he could do like a whole thing in one pass without going in for each line. He just, he just knew his rhythm. He was, you know, he's a rapper, man. That's what he, that's oh, what he made his lip work. So he was, he was phenomenal. You know who sucked? Roy Scheider. <clears throat> really? We did a film called White Raven. It was about a giant diamond. And <clears throat> he had like two or three lines that he was there all day. He cannot put, he cannot talk over himself in the same way. It, it was like, I thought he was joking me. Another Steve, another crazy kind of thing I got was we did ADR on a film called uh, oh man I remember it was Steve Buscemi was the director so he comes in he's sitting at the desk with me he, he wanted to sit up front he's on the couch in the back and uh, I'd hit record and that had a good cast too that was a bunch of people Tom Arnold came in and, and uh, anyway he would just I'd roll back the tape hit play record the loop line 
Stop. Roll it back. You want to hear that? Yeah, okay. And they'd sit there for like two minutes. You know, being all Steve Buscemi and stuff. <laughs> okay, that's good. All right, all right. It was just... <laughs> uh, he's great. Seemed a little unsure. I mean, I don't know. But again, nice enough guy. So I can't, can't complain. He's he's great as an actor. Uh, oh, I, he's fantastic. And I, I didn't get to see... I did not get to see the whole film because we just had the, we just had shots that they needed lines replaced. So like, I'd get like two minutes of real one with Tom Arnold's part, and then two minutes of real three with uh, who's the kid in Terminator? What's his name? Uh, uh, Edward Furlong. Yeah, he was in it too. Yeah, it was about uh, prisons and stuff. It was called not Animal House, maybe not Animal Farm. An animal something. I can't recall what it was. And I've always meant to like look it up and, and watch it, but I just like first of all, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> huh. You know, a lot of times uh like when we started before Witchbard came out, they were called it was called Ouija. But uh Hasbro or Milton Bradley or whoever owned the Ouija said, mm -mm -mm. <laughs> You're looking for a lawsuit. So, uh, Animal Factory, I think is the name. Animal Factory. Okay, yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah. Uh, Tom Arnold, Furlong, somebody else, pretty good sized actor in that one. Uh, Willem Dafoe. Oh, wait. wait yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, yeah. Danny Trejo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if they all came in for looping, but I remember Arnold and Furlong and Bishani. Oh, very cool. I was a Tom Arnold was way bigger than I was thought. I always thought he was kind of a you know, maybe my height, but heavy set. He's like six five or something. He's a big, big boy. Wow. Funny, funny guy. <laughs> I remember seeing him with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is not a tall man. And what was it, True Lies? Or yeah, yeah, they were, yeah, yeah. And they must have not, he must have been sitting the whole time because. He'd have towered over Schwarzenegger, he, or they put Arnold, Arnold on a box or something because uh, I think Tom they stuck, was, well, they stuck Tom, Tom Arnold, Arnold in that van. Yeah, he he's right. Like he spent most of mostly uh, film in the in the security van, right? <laughs> That's right. Probably just to hide that fact that man, he, yeah, he towers yeah. over Arnold. Yeah, he's big, 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 big boy. Wow. For sure. I guess I never realized that. Yeah, neither did I. I I'd seen True Lies before I met him. I, I think that came out before that, and, and uh, he was like, Ooh. "Big big guy <laughs> when he came in." And the producer on this, "The Beast Comes at Midnight," my current motion picture, uh, Ed McKeever. Uh, I I saw him in a couple uh, tech blog, you know, on, 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 online. I thought, hey, think about my height, you know, I'd be a little beefier built. And I see him on set with all the other actors in pictures, right? He's a freaking giant. I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah, I guess he gets his way a lot. <laughs> nice. Yeah, this, uh, very excited about this motion picture. The Beast Comes at Midnight, and you can check it out at thebeastcomesatmidnight.com. Uh, they got Robert Bronzy, who knew who he was, but he's a he looks just like Charles Bronson. And he's done a lot of these kind of B-exploitation films. A la Charles Bronson kind of characters. And he's he's in it. And Michael Perret, uh, Eddie and the Cruisers. Yeah. One of my favorites. And Eric Roberts. And I like him a lot. I think he was a, I think he was a nominated for an Academy Award. And I'm not sure what for. But it was a, a good cast. Uh, Good, uh, Ed McKeever, the producer, uh, who's, the, who's the director, who's not done a lot of stuff, Chris Jackson, <clears throat> but he's okay. done like television and, uh, and he's an actor as well and a producer as well and a director as well. So they got a pretty talented crew out there. Steve Gray is the set decorator art guy. He, he designed the t-shirt and built sets and stuff. Great building breakaway sets and such and uh, michael mckeever ed mckeever the producer's son is starring in it and he's a he's supposed to be, be an eighth grader but i think he's maybe 10th grade but uh 
small guy for such a big dad and just a good looking kid and he's he's been he's acting a couple of other things before and ed mckeever i don't know if you've ever seen a film called 100 acres of hell actually a pretty good uh, slasher kind of out in the woods kind of film but i would recommend have you not seen it that was ed's picture yeah uh beast comes at midnight sounds really awesome and uh from what i've heard uh it's going to be like a practical effects type horror that is movie. my understanding there it's not a big cgi fest it's going to be uh they, they got some uh, old school guys doing the effects and such <clears throat> and the script reads kind of like a pg-13 but that was before uh, Chris Jackson, the director, got involved. So I don't know. You know, it doesn't take much to go from PG thirteen to R. You know, a couple <laughs> exploding heads, some uh, entrail. But the script kind of read where most of the deaths took place off camera. I don't know how much of that is true anymore. So, yeah, I'm I'm anxious to see the Russians at least. You know, not, and they're shooting most of it right now in Tampa, where they or they might have wrapped already. <laughs> and, yeah, no, I'm coming. And then they're uh, picking up <laughs> next month. I think they're going to be shooting maybe back in Florida, but they had you know scheduling scheduling issues with actors and stuff, which is always a hellish nightmare with uh, with the production. You now, trying to get everyone to show up at the same time. Sure, can't always uh, make that happen. Yeah. Well, I'm anxious to see uh, the movie because I I love me a good werewolf movie. Yeah, I do too, and and uh, and it seems like they're approaching it right. You know, they got good cast, um, and Michael Pere and Bronzy and Christopher Eric, Christopher Eric, Eric, no. Eric Roberts Eric Roberts Eric Roberts <laughs> Eric Roberts uh, <clears throat> they're a big pull international, so it's like you know, me and you don't think too much of David Hasselhoff, but the rest of the world just thinks he's the bee's knees. And so that's a pretty good <laughs> deal that they got these these characters in the film because it makes me feel like the film will get seen because of the, uh, uh, the cast. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'd go theatrical here. I don't know. But I'd go to theatrical in Germany or in Spain or France or Britain. Yeah, I hope it goes theatrical somewhere. Yeah, me, I do too. You know, obviously, it's nice to be able to buy the marquee and go. I work on it, man. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, werewolves, uh, a question I ask a lot uh, to all, like most of the guests on the show: uh, Do you have a favorite Universal monster? Oh, I like. I, I, I was a little scared of them as a kid. I. Like the werewolf, the wolf man, I guess is what he was legitimately called. I always felt sorry for Frank Monster. It was just like, I couldn't really be afraid of him because he was like, and uh, so yeah, I was a fan of the opera. I was a fan of um, the werewolf, the wolf man. I was amazed by the invisible man. Yeah. Yeah, but the effects were like, you know, it's pretty uh, substandard these days. But yeah, back in the day, it was like, you know, when you're a kid, you go, yeah, and I was a big Harryhausen fan. You know all the uh, Jason and the Argonauts, Twenty Thousand Leagues Beneath the Sea, or all of his uh, Sinbad and the Seven, whatever. All the uh, Harryhausen monsters mm-hmm. and oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that was very cool. Well, my favorite werewolf film, I think, to this date, is still American Werewolf in London. I can. I've probably seen that a dozen times, you know, because right. I love Jack, the, the dead friend, you know, it's just oh, abs- yeah. or almost near dead friend or whatever he, he was. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I, I like that. I like that. Yeah. There yeah. It's, it's, it's gotta be like one of the top werewolf movies of all time. Just the transformation scene alone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I have no desire to see like any of the twilight films. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sparkly, yeah. um, sparkly vampires and werewolves. Yeah, so I'll save you the trouble. Don't watch them. My wife, yeah, yeah. watched one, and I was like, <clears throat> but mm. it was. It's funny with me was uh, we had to make like uh, she's begging me to watch one, right? 
And I was like, well, it's, I'll watch one under one condition. You got to like watch because she wanted me to watch all of them. I was like, there's only one way I can do that is you got to watch all of George Romero's Night of Living Dead movies with okay. me. Okay. <laughs> she wouldn't do that. Uh, she hasn't done it yet. So I only got to sit through one of so those. far, right? Yeah. <laughs> but she, she tries to get me to, I'll be like, hey, remember that one time we made that deal? Yeah. Night of the Living Dead tonight. Yeah. Turn of the Dead, whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Dawn of the Dead is probably my favorite out of. Yeah, that's a good one, too. That's very, very, very good. Uh, I, I actually saw that in the theaters uh, and it was it was pretty intense on a big screen yeah. very cool I think uh, like Night of the Living Dead the original one I, I've seen on you know the black and white I've seen on television never never saw a screening of it at a theater in Hollywood that would uh, play like old black and white with new prints like the guy Sotis Falcon in the theater Really nice, but they were original, you know, mono mix, uh, not, you know, freaking, uh, what do you call it, the cinemascope or anything, just like oh, yeah. square, you know. But it was, it was kind of fun to see what, uh, what, what my parents watched as kids. You know? Yeah, uh, I guess like uh, my next question kind of ties in uh, with Universal Monsters in a way. Um, but do you have like a favorite type of horror movie that you like to watch? Like, like a slashers creature features, like um, is there one that stands out to you that you like? I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here. I don't watch horror movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> they scare me too much. I don't, I don't, <clears throat> the ones I've seen the most are the ones I've worked on. Okay. And, and when you, and when you're working on it, like sometimes, you know, there'll be a slug in the film that says head explodes here. Or your know, eyes gouge here. So you're seeing black and white print. You're seeing like slugs just for time. So and there's no sound effects. And there's no even the dialogue is, is sketchy. You know, so you don't get the kind of effect. I don't get the kind of effect of scary movies that I work on because I see them in their. I see them naked. You know, no, no scary music. No huge grotesque sound effects. A lot of times, not even the special effects shots because they're being shot somewhere else. So there's they just slug the, the uh, print with uh, you know okay that's that's gonna be a minute that's gonna be a three second shot. So they just slug in three seconds of black, and then later on they'll come back and plug that into the film. So yeah, I I, I was gonna be working on another film earlier this year, and the director kind of said. Uh, it's kind of I know what you did last summer kind of vibe for the music. So I rented it on HBO or Netflix or whatever I had. And me and my wife watched it in the middle of the day with this sound way, way down. <laughs> so I, I don't want to watch something scary. I could watch it at night with the sound way up. I, I, I think I saw, I've never seen a Scream movie. I've never seen, uh, I think I saw the original Nightmare on Elm Street and then the big ones like Jaws and uh, yeah. Exorcist, but yeah, haven't seen Jason or Michael Myers or, huh. I don't need that, that scares me. <laughs> uh, is there like a, 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 a certain type of horror movie that scares you or is it just like any of them? it's just it's I, i'm the i'm the chill i mean you can you can have a cat jump across the screen and i'll piss myself you know what i mean it's just <laughs> it it doesn't even have to really be scary it's mm. i'm just an easy mark you know i'm i'm probably the audience that everybody all the directors want they want an entire theater full of me because uh. i'm just like <laughs> The popcorn kind of flies out of the hand. If you... Oh yeah, the whole the whole nine yards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I I did not freak out too bad in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street because I was so amazed at practical effects that were being used and how it, how they were doing the stuff. And I was like, as opposed to being really scared, I'd be like, oh that's cool, you know, that kind of stuff. So, All right. so but yeah, slasher movie where some guy just jumps out of the dark. I'm a ball pass. 
cut your head off. Fair you enough. can watch that on your own. Hon. I'm uh, I'm watching the Disney Channel. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so I guess like back to the uh, the music composing side of things. Uh, what made you like want to become a film composer? Is there like I'm sorry, say that one more time. Uh, what what made you want to become a film composer? Well, I, well, I'd been a musician my whole adult life, and even before that, you know, guitar player, rock and roll band, world travel, all that kind of nonsense. And I was in my thirties. It was like, okay, I'm not a rock star yet, so I like making music. Uh, I had made, I had scored some of my brother's college work, and his friends would go, "Well, wow." Uh, how do you get original music? And he goes, my brother's a, a, a musician. So I scored his films and I think I wrote some stuff for other, for other students at USC. And then when Kevin got out of college, him and a guy he knew in school, uh, Jeff Jaffray, uh, they had a kind of a writer producer team going and they sold Witchboard to Walter Johnson, who was a money guy. And I was just in the click. So like, so who's going to get to score of the movie? We'll get Dennis. Dennis, he'll do it for hardly anything, which is true. You know? <laughs> so it was, it was just the uh, right time, right place. And uh, and I didn't screw it up. So I got to try again and again and again and again. So, but I've done some pretty iffy films. There's a, the one, the film called Grimm, G-R-I-M-M. Kind of a monster movie. <clears throat> but again, their problem was that they're probably contractually obligated to sh- deliver a 90-minute film. And they had like 84 minutes. So there was so much just panning across the, can- the caves. It was just r- brutally slow, brutally slow. And I had to write music for all that brutally slow stuff. And it was like, <clears throat> but I see it's out on VHS, so we're on DVD now. I see, so I I see it, it uh, pop up on VHS well every once in a while. Take it. Uh, I say, uh, I said, uh, I, I see Grimm pop up on VHS every once in a while. Like I'll see yeah, online yeah. pop up. It was it's just, I mean, it wasn't a horrible, horrible movie. It was just so slow. Yeah. It's like another slow burn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I did another picture called uh, Backstreet Justice with great cast again. Uh, Paul Servino, mm-hmm. Linda Kozlowski, Mrs. Crocodile Dundee, and a host of other, really, and it was just, it was unwatchable. And the music I did sucked because the director had an opinion, the producer had opinion, the distributor had opinion, mm-hmm. their girlfriends had opinions. So it was like, <laughs> which it's just a oh, no. complete mishmash of nonsense. So, and the great part about that is that the de- demo I did was kind of a film noir, a saxophone bluesy thing. And we got to the end of the film and I just didn't have, the, I didn't have a wherewithal to write an end title sequence. So I used the original demo music, which was the bluesy sax and guitars, and cut it into the end of the picture. And as we're mixing the the reel, the end of the reel, the end of the film, <clears throat> the produced one of the producer says, Now that is great music. Why didn't we have that in the entire film? And I said, that was my demo. And then I got I got axed by you know, the committee, the, the producers, the director, the distributors, the girlfriends, the, the, the girlfriend who played flute in the high school band telling me something about writing music. And, uh, and then the second producer, the one I had did the demo for, he says, I have that cassette in my car. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the original demo. And then Fred, the main producer, he was like pissed that it got so far off that track. I said, trying to, you know, he had 17 chefs. Yeah. Yeah. Too too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Right. You you were correct, sir. 
<laughs> um, uh, a question I like to ask uh, composers, like I've, I've actually had a couple composers on here. Uh, uh, you might know him, uh, John Masari, who did uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. He did what? He he did the music for Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, I, I love that movie. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'm not familiar with the name, but that's okay. Well, and, yeah. uh, another guy, uh, he's uh, uh, an Italian composer, uh, Stefano Minetti. And he's actually done music like uh, for the Pope. But then in the oh, really? eight. But in the 80s, he uh, did music for a couple horror movies. Uh, one was called <laughs> Zombie 3, and then another one's called Stage Fright. Uh, he did music for those. So I had him on, the sh- on my show to talk about the horror films. And then, you know, he talked about, uh, you know, he did the music Pope. for The Pope. And uh, he's well, I've like, never. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I've never been in a position to where where I worked on a film that had enough of a budget to actually hire an orchestra. I mean, I've hired some soloists, like saxophone players and, uh, and and brass players for some color, but I've never been in a position where you know, uh, here's forty grand. We got we got we got just six hours at the Warner stage with the with the sixty piece orchestra. Knock yourself out. No, never, never been in that position. Would have liked to have been in that position. Would love to be in that position still at some point today. But, you know, the, the samples and the uh, sequencing and all that stuff, it's gotten pretty freaking good that you can, uh, I can do a pretty legitimate uh, orchestral with just uh, a keyboard, you know, so. Right. It's not, it's not legitimate, but I mean, it's, it'll pass. Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's just effective. Well, from what I've heard, it sounds pretty darn good. So, must be doing something right. Thank you very much. You're very kind. Pretty, pretty good. No problem. No problem. Um, a, a question I, I do ask. Uh, I, I guess I've I've asked all the composers that have been on my show so far. So I just want to try to keep that going. I guess. Um, hmm. So if if you were to recreate or reimagine uh, a film score to any movie, uh, what movie would you would you pick? Oh, I'd <clears throat> I'd pick something that I thought was, and I can't tell you off the top of my head. I, I think I'd pick something that was a good film, but maybe had a very spotty uh, score. You know, maybe, you know, if you look at a lot of old films, you'll either see films that were like wall to wall music, just because it was cheaper to, you know, all the, all the, the musicians and the composers were on. <clears throat> on salary for like Warner Brothers and MGM. So it was much cheaper just to have them come in and watch the whole movie with music than to do all the, the sound effects editing, do all the uh, Foley effects, do all the super clean dialogue editing. So and, th- and then you saw films that were just too cheap to do any of that, and they'd have like an open title and an end title and nothing in between. We did, God, I don't remember, I think it was like 60 60 episodes of they were one they were like three reelers they were like maybe between 30 and 40 minutes along each old john wayne movies but they were like serial or he's a cowboy and all these things and they colorized it and we rescored it and looped everything it was a big fucking chore but it was pretty cool and that i'm still making money off that crap too so Nice. You, know, you see those like in the dollar store, you know, the silver tin badge, John Wayne, you know, yeah, in color, right, in stereo, in color. So, <laughs> nice, nice. We must, we must, we just, we turned those things in. Out, out. There must have been between forty and sixty of those things, you know, two or three reelers, and uh, they just, they just kept coming in. We kept. Me and Scott, a friend of mine, Scott Smith, we did we wrote the music. And after the first four or five reels, we just started cannibalizing the, the verse from the from the other from the things we've already done and drop that in. Well, this what we did there, that'll work for this thing too. Because they're all the same picture, you know, good guy on the horse, bad guy on the horse. So that was a very interesting. And we uh 
We scored it with the Synclavier, which is a really amazing tool. And also it's a, it was an amazing hard disk editor. So you could just take huge chunks of music, pull it off the first reel, stick it on the second one, and tweak it up so it basically lands where it should. That was a lot of work, but uh, Scott, Smith, Scott Smith, yeah, he, he was a, he was my co-composer on those. And that was a shitload of work. I, he, I'd work days because I kind of helped running run the place. And when I got tired, he'd come in and he'd work all you know twelve hours overnight and huh. turn it back around. You know, Man. I was much younger then, my friend. <laughs> I don't think that's. I don't think I'd be able to do that today. But he's like, no, 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 no. Right oh. now, I got, I got my ring set up in my office here at home, so I can get out of bed, have a cup of coffee, go into the studio, noodle, have some breakfast, go back to the studio. It's not like you know, showing up on a stage where you know you're there. It's costing money. You better freaking just put your nose at the grindstone. Yeah, so I, I'm going to enjoy doing the uh, beast. At, uh, the beast comes at midnight because well, I already I read the script, and then from that I just put together like a six minute demo of like themes and set it off to Ed and Todd, the other producer, and they they all everybody liked it, and Steve Gray, the uh, the art director, and so everyone was really happy with it. So so I, that's feel comfortable as opposed to like going into it raw and, and then trying to find out something that everybody likes you know it's, so now i have a i have a starting point before i've even seen the film because i got to read the script a lot of people want, don't let you read the script because they they don't want you to infer things or you know maybe the script doesn't get shot exactly like it is it's written so like things could change the, oh yeah, yeah everything is you know that's that's what production's all about. You gotta be fluid. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I haven't done a film in quite a while, so I'm not sure how fluid they remain. In the sense that it's it used to be, if you had, if you wanted to make picture changes, like after you already started post, it was a big deal. Because everyone down the road, you know, sound effects editors, the dialogue editors, uh, fully artists, uh, you know, it affected a lot of people when you made a picture change. And you had to like actually cut it into the film. And I think nowadays it's like you can probably futz around with the picture until the day before you have to hand it in. You know, let's, let's move that scene here, move that scene there. It's just big chunks of digital information. You don't have to you don't have to go from source to source. You just copy, click, edit, paste. So I just hope it's not too much of that. Like after we get started on the uh, post end of it, the, the, the picture's kind of like pretty locked. So that, that just messes with people. Right. Yeah, I, I you know I hope it goes well for you, and yeah, me too. Hopefully, all goes well just over overall with the yeah with the soundtrack yeah. and the film. Yeah. Uh, do you have an idea of like when that film is supposed to be released? Well, like next year? I think they're gonna, no, I, th I think they're shooting for like October. Oh, so, okay. Nice. So really Halloween, which, you know, might be a little, might be a little uh, ambitious. I don't know, but no, they, they're, they're not going to, I'm getting an impression from these guys that they're not like the, the filmmakers who just beat, going to beat it to death. They're going to, Cut. They're gonna screen it. They're gonna lock it, and it's forward. You know, I, I don't. You know, some directors used to get the impression that if you would let them, they would just recut and cut and recut and cut forever on a picture. You know? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like they're laser focused on this movie. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, they they raised the money really fast, and they got out there and they cast it quickly. So. I think the only thing holding him up on, on the entire shoot is that, uh, that Robert Bronzy, he's in Hungary and he's having trouble getting a visa to get out but for right. whatever reason. I don't know if it's COVID kind of shit. I don't know. We're just, you know, hungry. Who knows what they're doing over there? 
Yeah, right. Yeah, that's interesting because yeah, with so much stuff is going on, like oh, I know restrictions get lowered, then they're back up. It's like what what's well, going that's on? why I think that they they picked they had some great locations in the Tampa area, and also DeSantis had there were no like restrictions on you didn't have to wear a mask when you're you know if there's more than two of you so they could shoot pretty much on demand as they as they wished while they were down in florida and um i mean i'm anxious to see what they've got you know so for sure oh and they have this uh terry jarrell this, this absolutely amazing drone pilot he's amazing footage of uh he just uh, he just flew a drone through the downtown New Orleans, and it's just freaking amazing. Hmm. It's, you know, it's he's got some piloting skills. That, uh, very cool, very cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. That you know, that's kind of one of the cooler things about nowadays is the the drone shots. Like you can get some oh, really that, awesome that was drone big, shots. Huge money back in the day. Like, a helicopter or a, a plane, you know. Yeah, so just you know, drone about that big <laughs> and very, very mobile and uh, very, very maneuverable. So I've seen just some of the shots he's done. He's just, yeah. If you go to uh, thebeastcomesatmidnight.com, you'll see you can find all this, the footage and some pictures from set and the cast and crew. It's a quite an event they're doing that so i'm really happy to be involved nice nice um so you know i know you talked about this one and then there's an, another film in the works is that kind of all the films that, that you're working on or, or what's next for you no the <clears throat> the beast comes at midnight is the only one i'm currently involved with there was a one earlier that kind of fell apart because uh mother director was a he wanted he I got a temp cut of the open scenes and it had my name and another guy's name as composers. And I called him, I said, I, I don't, I don't need, I'm not sharing a card with anybody. I mean, I, I'm too old for that. You know, if it, if it turns out crappy, I, if it turns out really, really good, I share the, the, the kudos. So I'm not interested in that. And then he said, Oh, oh no, no, no. We're just using his stuff as temp and blah, blah, blah. And then this was just before the holidays. And he said, well, I'll, we'll talk after the holidays. Uh, I didn't realize he meant like, you know, St. Patrick's Day. So mm -hmm. they, they just went ahead and finished it. And no one ever called me to say, which is fine. It was kind of a iffy project anyway, whether or not it was going to turn out good or bad or indifferent. So uh, I, I did it. I, I got involved mostly because uh, Kathy Podwell from Night of the Demons uh, played uh, Julie, I don't know, blonde gal. She was Alice in Wonderland costume. And she she did Night of the Demons, did like four seasons of Dallas as J.R. Ewing's new wife, got married, raised three kids, and when the last one went off to college, she decided to get back into acting. Which is what she got involved in. And I, I just called the director and said, you know, I'm not really, really interested in, in doing this, but if if you use my name and you can get a you know $2 quicker and get Kathy on set faster, use my name. And and he did. And then that just fell through. So no biggie. It's it's Tinseltown, you know. Yeah. Can't get disappointed every time something goes south. <laughs> All right. That, that's uh good way to think you know yeah there's you know it there's always going to be some downs where there's you know going to be some ups as it's, well yeah yeah and uh and i'm seeing now uh there's so many indie films being made i mean it used to be just like you you couldn't you know, shooting on 35 uh getting it developed uh work print uh renting the cameras uh, I've seen stuff shot on iPhone 11 that looks really freaking good. You still need to still need a DP, a photographer who knows how to light that kind of stuff. But mm. it's just so much. It's just so much easier to do independent work today than it was 
20 years ago, you know? Oh, for sure. There's a, there's a really good movie. Like I know you don't like horror movies or try to watch them, but uh, there's one called Unsane. And it, I think it came out a couple years ago, but that was Un- yeah. Sane. Yes. Okay. yes. And it was made all on an iPhone and it, I mean, looks good it, yeah it looks like it looks so good it looks like it was actually shot on film or something like i was like really surprised like uh, you know how well yeah the movie it, was. Like I said, you can't just throw a phone up there and start taking pictures but if you have a, a director of photography who is <clears throat> knows how to light a subject there's no reason why a, a, a iphone 11 or whatever you know 48 you know for hd or whatever the hell it is you know yeah. There's no reason it can't look as sharp as uh, 35 millimeter. And in, in some cases, even sharper because, you know, it's, they, um, you know when they're shooting uh, 24 frames a second, you have a lot of blur. You, know, not, you can shoot on an iPhone at 60 frames a second, cut it at 30 frames, and you, you just get a way crisper picture than you would on 35 millimeter, 24 frames a second. So it, it, yeah, you still need the talented people to like like the scene and to director so that cast doesn't look stupid, you know. But yeah, it's so I I I haven't even been looking for work and it just kind of came find me. Like Steve Gray, I I knew a little bit from somewhere else. He's the set director, and he's the one who gave my information to Ed McKeever, the producer. We chatted. Sure, sounded like fun, you know. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I haven't really hunkered down and gone looking for any work, per se. So, so we'll see how this goes. And if, if, it, uh, if it's a good experience, then I'll start digging around, looking for another one. So. For sure. I, I hope uh, everything goes well so we can keep hearing more of your scores in, in some future uh, uh, movies. The Uncle Dennis Show. Dot com. <laughs> You get uh, my IMDb page, my uh, Bandcamp. You can buy albums or just listen to them if you want. And you get all all the links to my all my stuff. The Uncle Dennis Show dot com, or you can go to YouTube and search the Uncle Dennis Show and get a lot of my videos, which are sometimes old eighties rock from when I was a young man to some silly songs, to whatever. It's just to have fun, explore, knock nice. yourself out. For sure. I'll, I'll put the link to your website in yeah, the description. And the Beast Comes at Midnight, website.com. All right. Yeah, I'll put the Beast Comes at Midnight in the, in the episode description as well. Cool. Uh, yeah, for sure. There, there's like one quick question that mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you before uh, – before we sign <clears> off here <throat> um night of the demons three that is like such a hard movie to find is there a reason uh, why it was movies? it was shot and produced in canada and then the, the american producers and the canadian producers didn't like each other and so they had there's two versions there's one version with with a perfectly uh, usable score from Canada, Canadian composer, but they but the American producers weren't going to let them keep the money from uh, 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 producing the music for publishing the music, so they had me rescore the thing, even though the, it was perfectly serviceable score on the film. But they spent they spent money on me to like redo it. And so there's the Canadian version with the original score, and then there's the American buy score. And I don't know how that all panned out. Hey, if, if you can't get the American one in Canada, you can't get the Canadian one in America. Uh, I, I say your best shot is eBay or something like that. That's right. There's a lot, a lot of behind the scenes crap. That, uh, like I say, this, the score wasn't bad on Night of the Demon 3. But they just, the American producers just wanted to stick it to the Canadian producers. So. Mm. And they did. And I was happy to oblige. I like the paydays. Right. Yeah, you got paid for both of them, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. You probably, 
made out like a bandit and you know i did i did very fine very fine and it was <laughs> it was kind of an easy score to do because it basically i just i just updated the original night of the demon score and just you know made it a little more orchestral and a little less synthetic and but it was you know it was pretty much it pretty much wrote itself in the sense that i wouldn't i wouldn't try a new material i just like the upkeep up older materials so it was easy and it, was, uh, it was easy money, easy money. <laughs> uh, but hey, uh, Dennis, uh, thank you yeah. so much for coming on the show, man. Oh, really my pleasure, it. my friend. Uh, the, the wife's giving me the evil eye. It's time for dinner. So uh, I got to okay. run, my friend. All right. Sounds good. I appreciate it so much. Well, that concludes the uh, interview with Dennis Michael Tenney. Uh, just want to say, Dennis, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about your newest film, The Beast Comes at Midnight, and some of the other horror films that you've worked on. It's very cool to catch up with you. So what's next for the Root Horror Podcast? Well, I can tell you I have several interviews lined up with uh, people including director, writer, special effects artist, Matt Wisniewski as he comes on the show to talk about his newest short film Toy Terminator and we also talk about the horror genre also we'll be having author Matt Betts on the show he'll be talking about his novels in the horror genre and then uh, later on I have a author's panel I'll be having writer-actor Shane Bitterling on the show, he's worked on a few full moon movies such as Ouija's, Puppet Master 10, Real Evil, and he'll be on the show to talk about his new Halloween book titled The Year Without Halloween. And then also on the panel we have director-author Stacy Lane Wilson. She'll be on the show to talk about her new book series, Rock and Roll Nightmares. So I'm excited to have her on there. And then also joining we have author producer Mark Wheaton. He'll be on to talk about uh, his books, and uh, he's also worked on a couple horror films such as The Messengers, and uh, did a little bit of work on Friday the Thirteenth from 2009. So I'm, I'm excited to have all these guests on, really. But uh, should should be a, a great conversation, and yeah, it'd be fun to catch up with these guys and gals. So. That's about all that I have for you guys today. Uh, just want to say thank you for listening. And I uh, appreciate all of you guys' support. We're approaching uh, two full years here pretty soon. Record podcast. So it's, it's uh, been an absolute blast. What can I say? But... Uh, for everything Root Horror Podcast related, you can go to www.linktree.com forward slash Root Horror Podcast. And uh, just thank you all so much and stay tuned for the next one.
You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.